Julie at Dogcast Radio. If you like dogs, wherever you are in the world, we're the show for you. Hello and welcome to episode 102 of Dogcast Radio. In this show, we find out about the fascinating world of dog wrangling. We'll have the Dogcast Radio news and some insight into what makes dogs different from cats. But first, we talk to Catherine Segura about her book, Hollywood Barks, which looks back at her life and work so far with dogs and other animals on the set of many films and TV shows. It seems that Catherine was destined to work with dogs, since she was born with a paw print on her thigh. Yes, and my father being a professional photographer, I mean, this man was never without a camera. And in fact, um, he was riding, uh, horseback riding with my uncle one day, and my uncle was thrown off of the horse and fell off, (laughs) was hanging onto a branch of a tree on a cliff. And my father jumped off of his horse, and my uncle thought he was going for help, and he came back with a camera <laughs> and said, hold it, took his photograph, and then saved his life. <laughs> but he didn't take a photograph of the paw print on my thigh as a newborn baby. Oh, dear, yeah. But, and what's, but what, he'll take a photograph of my poor uncle hanging, uh, you know, for his life <laughs> on a cliff. And what, what's the story about how the paw print got there? Well, my mother, uh, she they had, before me, they had 12 golden retrievers. Oh, wow. And um, mom uh, bred them. They worked for this gentleman who trained, uh, in fact, I think he was South African. And he had golden retrievers, and mom fell in love with them. So she started training them for hunting, and my dad would take them hunting, and then she would show them in the breed ring and in uh, field and trial. And this one particular dog, now this is a story, obviously, I, I have to believe my parents, um, she would, uh, the dog would dance with her. And she made some kind of gesture that the dog thought it was time to dance because while she was pregnant, there was no dancing. And this was just a few weeks before I was born. And he jumped up on her and she backed up and his, the weight of his foot, you know, his front fell onto her stomach and it was obviously on my thigh. And that's how it happened. Wow. And the, the doctor said it would go away within two years. And she said it did. And there was no, I never, like I said, I never got a photograph of it. I couldn't believe that. And yeah. I teased my father about that forever. <laughs> that's a great story though. I like that. I like that. Yeah. Yeah. So now another thing, I mean, for, for I, I've, read the book but for people not uh, who aren't familiar with the term you are a wrangler so what is a wrangler a wrangler is someone who um works in the film industry now there are baby wranglers they they just use the word wrangler and a, a baby wrangler is someone who takes care of babies on a set an animal wrangler would take care of the animals so we just wrangle whatever we're wrangling, <laughs> be it animals, humans, whatever. But that's what a wrangler is, you know, from the old cowboy days, I guess. Yeah, yeah. It makes it sound like you're on set wrestling with these dogs. I know. <laughs> well, if you're wrangling a tiger, I guess you would be. Yep, yeah. Now, the other thing that I was interested in, you, there are always two, well, at least two trainers on set and someone representing the American Humane Association. Is that right? Yes, usually um, there is. Now, if you're doing just um, 
a print job or something like that, you can get away with one trainer. But American Humane, they're they're just there to make sure that the animal is safe. Um, So they're just observing. So um, if something happens and they go, yeah, you know, it would be really great if we had the dog jump off this roof. Uh, wait a second. <laughs> so um, American Humane would come in. Now, there are shots where dogs do actually jump off a roof, but they make it very safe. Yeah. And as for there's something about Mary, um, that wasn't a live dog. That was a stuffy. And when it went flying out the window, so yeah. a, an animal, a, you know, a live animal was not used. Yeah. yeah. So you can get away with doing things like that. Yeah, I mean, you you do give really some great insights into, you know, the movie world. And one of the things I found intriguing, just, you know, what you've mentioned about the dogs have to be measured and photographed. And then, as you say, stuffed stuffed dogs are made of them or whatever the animal is for scenes that they wouldn't they couldn't do, aren't they? Right. Um, this That is very important. And that's always put into the budget if you need a, a stuffed animal. Um, because you are always looking out for the safety of the animal. But when we did uh, the stuffy for Mary, I, we had to go in, which I explain in the book, we had to go in and the dog had to be photographed from every angle, um, measured, and so they could make an exact duplicate of the animal. Yeah, yeah. And you, you also have um, Slammer was the main dog, but then you adopted Mouse, another puppy. Yes, Mouse, yeah. yeah and he was the backup and- dog, wasn't he? Yeah, well, they needed a male, too, and uh, they wanted to have a backup dog. But I trained Mouse for everything that um, was needed in that, and he was so quick. He was an easy, easy dog to train. He he just was so willing, and he enjoyed it so much. Yeah. So uh, there were a lot of behaviors in that. So, you know, we had to make sure that everything uh, was right. And once, you know, if you work a dog too much, you always want to have a dog that can come in so the dog isn't working all those hours. And that's another reason for a backup. Yeah. So it's good to have a backup. And when it's a big feature film where the animal is the star, like a lassie or um, the um, air bud or something like that, you have more than one. Sometimes you can have three or four. You can have a team. Yeah. So, um, and that's important because you, you have what they call the main dog is the hero dog. And then the other dogs would be the backup. Yeah. So you always have the, and there's always a beauty dog. So you pick the best dog with the best features for all the close-ups. So oh. that would be the beauty shot. Now, I hope you don't use and those you, terms. I hope you don't use those terms in front of the dog so they don't know. Who's the beauty dog? No, they don't know. They (laughs) never know. We don't want to hurt their feelings. Absolutely. (laughs) No, that's very important. You you can't do that. But they do, you know, um, there's so many tricks and and people just don't realize how much work really goes into making a film with animals. Yeah. So that's why so many people say they don't want to work with dogs or kids, (laughs) you know, animals or or kids. Yeah, Yeah. Because they're the ones who get all the attention. I bet. And I've actually been on a set. We were doing, um, oh, it was a commercial. And we were at the LAX, uh, the International Airport in Los Angeles. And there were all these extras. Um, 
I had, um, we had a bunch of dogs. I don't even remember what the, what it was for. I just remember we had animals there and I had, um, at least two other trainers with me. And I told them, I said, whatever you do, the extras are going to ask you what the animals are paid. Do not tell them this, tell them you don't know because the animals were always paid more than the extras (laughs) and we didn't want them to get mad at us. No. (laughs) And they couldn't understand why we were, you know, we had blankets and pillows and everything for our animals, and they were out there freezing. <laughs> but they were able to fend for themselves. They were human beings. But this is so it. We have this to take care of our animals. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So there is a little bit of jealousy there. So you have to be careful. <laughs> you have to be politically correct on a set. Yeah. You don't want to upset anybody. No, no you mentioned that. You, you have to know your set etiquette, don't you? Yes, you have to do that. <laughs> yes, because you don't want to be in a scene and all of a sudden a dog runs off and you're chasing it across the set <laughs> while they're doing a different scene. That That's not good. No, no. no. You, you don't want to do that. Also, if you're in a studio, an enclosed area and not outside, you have cables and wires and everything that you have to be careful. You don't want to trip and you don't want to have your animal tripping either. So you have to watch out for all of that as well. Yeah, yeah, and I guess that's that's your job to sort of think ahead as, and and be aware of all that stuff, you know, for all the animals you're you're in your care, haven't you? Well, I always like to go on a set before without the animal and just you know like um, when you go to a, a horse show <laughs> to see the jumps when you're going to a jumper uh, watch a jumping event, the trainers always go first to look at the course. Yeah, that's kind of how I am when I go on a set. I'm checking out the course the layout. So I know where everything is and what's safe, where we should go, the best path to take. Because you have to have that because you want uh, your trainers and your animals to be safe. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Now, you you mentioned there's something about Mary. And um, you had a weird request in that. You you supplied the the Border Terriers for that. But also, they wanted a Great Dane who was snake friendly, didn't they, for that? Yes. The, well, in the um, film, in the director's cut, you can see it. There was um, a character that had the Great Dane and the snake was his best friend. Yeah. I, I don't have never heard of that. But anyway, um, that's what they wanted. So they wanted the really big snake and the Great Dane. And Great Danes are very difficult to fly. Um, if, unless you have them in the cabin with you. But this is not a dog. Well, I don't like putting my dog in to... Um, underneath anyway I, no, I hate no. that so um I thought it would be best to get a dog that was local to Florida instead of having to traumatize the dog and flying it and we actually found one um and he was very good with snakes so that's what we cared about now the snake we brought from LA mm. um and that was rather interesting because the uh, they were there for about a week shooting this and they brought him in a huge box, or her, it was a girl, um, in a huge box and left it in the um, hotel room. Yeah. And uh, no one knew that they had a 20-foot python <laughs> there. And they just said it was equipment, stay away. <laughs> and um, I had, they had uh, rented a van just for this snake so I could drive it to and from the uh, studio mm. and my uh, mouse uh, was terrified to ride in that car with that snake in there. I and bet. he just got as far away as he could from that snake. Yeah. It really traumatized the poor little guy. 
<laughs> well, it was so, he was only a little dog. I know, and but he this was a big snake in a uh, box, <laughs> but he could smell it. Yeah, and yeah. it terrified him, and I felt so badly for him. <laughs> so I put him in the crate in the front to be as far away from the snake as as possible because he was terrified. I bet. I saw so, Ivy. <laughs> well, he's a big snake. Yeah. And um, in one of the scenes, um, one of the the trainers with the Great Dane um, had a very long ponytail, and she was leaning over. And the snake was crawling up, and I guess he thought it was a piece of um, grass or weeds or something, and he thought he wanted to eat it. Hmm. And he went slithering up, and I saw him go, his head going up right for her hair, which was laying on her bum. Mm -hmm. And I went over and just grabbed the snake's head and moved it because he was about to literally bite her you know what yeah oh my goodness yeah so you got to be aware and it it wasn't to be mean he wanted to know what that was yeah yeah. (laughs) and she just turned and said thank you (laughs) (laughs) like oh my god so um you you do you have to be aware of everything and I get she was doing something else and forgot about the snake that it was even in there, and that happened. Yeah, yeah. So uh, it was very interesting. I bet. But, uh, but that was a big snake. Well, yeah. you saw the photograph with all those people holding it. Yeah, yeah. Incredible. So, now, you, you also supplied exotic animals or, or arranged for exotic animals for the film Indecent yeah. Proposal, didn't you? Yes. Um, well, that's why I was hired was um, to coordinate all the exotic animals for that scene. And then Adrian Lyne um, decided he wanted a dog. And yeah. that's how that happened. The dog was not scripted. He just wanted a family dog. And that's how I ended up with sweet Chloe. Yeah. So tell us that because you, Chloe was not the dog that you went to the shelter for, was she? No, I had gone to the shelter and I found this lovely pointer mix and I wanted that dog. I took photographs and um, showed Adrian, and he said, yes, that's the dog. And then, you know, the story, waiting all night, and um, somebody else was there, and they took that dog. But he got a good home, so that was great. And then the the officer came out as I was about to drive away and said, follow me, and that's how I found Chloe. And I just looked at her and said, okay, that's it. Yeah. And fortunately, Adrian um, fell in love with everyone. Fell in love with Chloe. I just to meet that dog. And after that movie, I couldn't go anywhere with that dog without her being recognized. Oh, yeah. And she, so, and, she and Woody Harrelson got quite close, didn't they? Yes, they did. He loved her. Yeah. So um, it was very sweet. She was just the sweetest, dearest dog. Yeah. She had such a soul. So my only mistake with her, because I um, had trained her on the set, I never put a leash on her. Hmm. She was uh, off leash all the time. And I put her on a leash one time and she looked at me like I was crazy. (laughs) That dog hated to walk on a leash. So I'd always have a leash with me just in case, but she hated it. She absolutely hated to walk on a leash. So I'll never do that again. I always start leash training first because, but we were in such a rush and I wasn't really thinking about that. And she was such a good girl um, that I never really did need a leash, but 
you shouldn't do that. You should always start leash training. Yeah. Yeah. So and, I learned something myself doing that. <laughs> yeah. And and you talk sort of about the they would do the more active scenes in the morning and Chloe would get tired out and then she could do scenes where she had to be asleep under the table and things like that in the afternoon. Yeah. Well, they wanted her to, to fall asleep under the table and this we shot a lot of it at this home um, way up in the hills. I mean, the hills were so bad that I made my father do the driving because he was such a good driver in hills and mountains. And I said, you drive. These things scare me. It was like a roller coaster. And um, so we went up there and there was this tiny little kitchen and we had the director, Adrian and Demi and Woody were there and Chloe was under the table and cameraman and myself. I don't know how we all fit in this kitchen. <laughs> and uh, we had done all these things in the morning and then I was running her up and down the hills up there to get her really tired. And, uh, that then she fell asleep and started snoring, so I had to wake her up. <laughs> oh, no, 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 just just gently, you know, sleep. Mm. <laughs> no snoring, because she was a snorer. But yes, um, and sometimes you know people forget that. I always try to tell the director, let's do the heavy stuff first because the dog will get tired, and not only that, they'll get bored. And sometimes your call will be at six o'clock in the morning. And they don't get to you till three in the afternoon. Oh, well, by yeah. then the dog is like, I'm done. I, yeah. You know, the dog hasn't been stimulated. Nothing's happening. And so you have to be very careful. Mm. And you want the dog to be alert and happy, unless it's a sleeping scene. Yeah, yeah. But I mean, one of the things that comes through very strongly in the book is your very, you know, caring and compassionate attitude to the animals that you work with. I mean, I love the fact that you say they should be in houses, not in kennels. And, you know, as, you, you, as you've just said, you know, they need to be on the set long enough beforehand to settle down, but not long enough to get bored. And you right. also believe in training them to be happy, you know, to, to see the crate as a happy place, don't you? Oh, absolutely. That's their little sanctuary. Um, that's where they can go away. Because even when you're on a set, uh, when you have a dog or a cat or anything, everybody wants to come and pet it. Well, people think that's just a pet, you know, but you're stressing the dog out. Um, they don't need that afterwards. After everything's done, you just want the dog to be in its quiet zone. Like an actor or an actress, they don't want everybody coming up and asking them for autographs or, you know, asking them questions unless it pertains to the film that they're doing. That's why they have a trailer. That's They go and, you know, to, to cut off, to go over their lines, do whatever. And that's the same thing. That's what a crate is for, for a, um, a dog on a set. And people know once the dog is in that crate, you can leave it alone. And afterwards, when they're finished and the director says wrap, they can play with the dog, pet him, do whatever they want. But um, the only person that I allow near the dog really is the one that they will be working with. And I, you know, have them give the dogs treats or whatever. So the dog really likes that person because that's what you want. You want the dog to look like it belongs to that person that's in the show with them. It's very important. Yeah. So that's the reason for that. Yeah. And as you point out, what, what most um, films or, you know, TV shows want is a family dog. You know, they want it to behave as a family dog. So right. it needs to have that background in real life, doesn't it? Yes. And the sleeping on the couch. It, and whenever you're doing a film, they want the dog on the couch. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, you know, and 
people at home, they never want their dogs on the couch. My dogs are allowed because that's, you know, what they do. Yeah. Um, so my dogs are allowed to do pretty much anything except destroy the house. (laughs) (laughs) You don't want them chewing up everything, but they're very happy. And, um, I just think it's, it's nice that they can come home and, um, chill and, and not be in a kennel, just do their thing and be home and have their supper and lie by the fireplace or, you know, whatever a dog does. Yeah. Yeah. But to be a dog, because they're a family member first. They're not an actor first. Yeah. Yeah. So, oh, that's how um, it should be. Yeah. Yeah. So that's just fun. And, and you know, they ha- enjoy it because every dog loves a, to work and they should all have a job being, you know, if they sit for a cookie or whatever to make that because they live to make their, um, you know, their human parent happy. Yeah. So if, you know, you teach them anything and show how pleased you are with it, they're, they're in heaven. They love that. Yeah. The dog that got you into all this was Ace. And as you say, he was your pet dog, wasn't he? And sort of you, you came into this um, just because you trained him. He could do various behaviors. And then the opportunity came up. It wasn't, you know, you didn't deliberately go into it, did you? No, it, it just sort of happened, you know, um, Mom's friend was a, a head writer on a soap opera, her um, best friend's husband, and they needed a dog here in L.A. And the producer happened to love Shelties. And so we asked him, do you know anyone with a Sheltie? And that's how it happened. And um, I didn't know what I was doing. I was just a kid. And uh, Ace was so good. I, Shelties are incredibly intelligent anyway. Mm-hmm. And he just did all these things. The Ace was really funny because I would show him in the confirmation ring and he loved that. I took him through obedience and he, no, I hate this. Oh. But in front of a camera, he loved because he just liked attention. Oh. He lived for that. And most Shelties, they love obedience. Mm. They think that's wonderful. Not Ace. <laughs> no, it was beneath him. Yeah. But he was very obedient. And this little one that I have now, um, Holly, my blue Merle, I swear she's ace reincarnated. She's just like him. She does all the same things that he used to do. And that was a long time ago, but, um, she's the first Sheltie since, um, he, that has really reminded me of ace. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, well, I'm, I'm glad that you've got a dog that reminds you of, you know, the dog that began it all because he sounds fantastic oh holly is just she's just wonderful and she loves everybody and um she loves bailey the the big one yeah and she's just a really great dog she loves kids she sees kids she goes crazy um she loves cats she loves anything that breathes she loves them yeah Uh, what was it my um i was walking them one day and he said the one thing about holly that's so wonderful is she's never met a stranger (laughs) <laughs> and that that's Holly. That, yeah. that really describes her. This interview continues after the Dogcast Radio News. I was haunted by trainers going, up, 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 get up. You find yourself picking your head up and then realising they aren't talking to me. Jeff Daniels, about shooting the film 101 Dalmatians. You're listening to Dogcast Radio on www.dogcastradio.com. 
Hello and welcome to the Dogcast Radio News Desk. I'm Kate. And I'm Nick. There was good news for dogs this year when scientists announced that they are better pets than cats. But it was a close call, with dogs scoring higher in six out of the 11 categories considered, and cats in five. The study looked at aspects such as brain size, environmental impact, character, intelligence, usefulness and popularity. Interestingly, the dog scored higher in categories dealing with how animals interact with humans, with canines having a longer shared history and greater powers of understanding, being able to interpret human gestures such as pointing a finger or nodding a head. Although dogs do read our body language very well, a dog in the UK Rescue Centre recently had to be taught a whole new language. The border collie in question, called Scent, responded only to commands issued in Polish which was lowering his chance of being adopted. Staff at the centre used the internet to learn how to instruct Scent in Polish, and amazingly, within a month, he had learned English cues too. Let's hope the bilingual dog soon finds someone to love him. And someone who certainly loves dogs is the Queen. She recently demonstrated this by writing a letter of sympathy to a subject whose dog had died. When 95-year-old pensioner Stan Lee's Japanese chin, Teddy, passed away, Stan wrote to tell the Queen, who wrote back to say that she was so sorry to hear of his loss and was apparently very touched by his letter. The Queen, of course, has a veritable pack of corgis and also dorgies, corgi, dachshund, crosses, as well as other breeds, and would appreciate another dog owner's love for his dog. So how much is a dog's love worth? Well, that's exactly what the Vermont Supreme Court has been asked to decide recently. Sarah and Dennis Schleel from Maryland say their dog should be viewed as a member of the family and not mere property. Their dog's shadow was shot dead by a neighbour when he wandered into his yard. Despite paying the Schleels $4,000 to cover Shadow's adoption fees, veterinary bills and cremation, the couple are seeking further damages for their emotional loss. Certainly not easy to put a price on the love of a dog. Of course, some things can be both free and priceless, as the weather proved in Scotland in January, when dog sled enthusiasts got to race on snow for the first time in 15 years. Over a 1,000 dogs and 200 mushers took part in the Arden Grange and Siberian Husky Club of Great Britain Aviemore Sled Dog Rally, which is the largest dog sled rally in Britain. However, the recent spell of very cold weather has not been good news for everyone. A German Shepherd Cross, now named Baltic, was spotted stuck on floating ice in Poland's Vistula River. A day later, he was seen 40 miles upstream, and firefighters tried unsuccessfully to rescue him. Another rescue attempt further up the river also failed, and poor Baltic continued to drift on the ice until he was finally taken out to sea. Unusually, that was not the end of him, or the story. Luckily for Baltic, scientists on a research boat noticed him, and after trying for hours, the crew finally managed to scoop Baltic up in a large net and get him on board. Baltic's future is now assured, because if no one else claims him, the crew of the boat will adopt him as the ship's mascot. Well, let's hope he's not sick of the sea. And that's all from us on the Dogcast News Desk. Goodbye. Mutts are often better to work with. Sometimes some of the breed dogs get hyper and have lots of health problems. Mutts are just great. Betty Lynn, animal trainer, referring to the collie mix Maui, who played Murray on Mad About You. Now our interview with Hollywood dog wrangler Catherine Segura continues. 
there's a lovely story in the book where you are working with Rhett and Paddington, two golden retrievers, and you were working on a, a rescue 911 reenactment, and yeah. you got into some trouble. So can, can you tell us how that came about? Yes, well, we did the reenactment about a little boy um, who was doing what he wasn't supposed to. They went at their summer home, and they told him not to go out to the deck. Well, of course, he did. And he fell into the Colorado River and was swept down, and they had a golden retriever who jumped in and rescued him. Mm. And um, they went down, and because of the golden retriever, they were able to find the little boy and save him. So we did the reenactment, and um, I went up with my friend Stephanie, and Rhett and Paddington were her dogs, and they were brothers. And uh, so we went up, and actually Chloe was there too, but she was in her exercise pen just watching all of this. Um, um, Everybody was in the water because, of course, you know, this is Rescue 911, and we had an ambulance there. We had everything just in case. And everybody had life jackets on. And for the little boy, they had a a little person playing the boy swimming um, down the river because they didn't want to use the actual boy. The only there were three boys actually playing the one boy and um, they would fall into the water and then they'd be grabbed by the lifeguards and taken ashore. And then the little person would go floating down the river. Yeah. So um, the dog was supposed to look at them and, and then jump in. Well, the director said the dog was looking over at me, standing at shore, and could I swim out there? And he did ask if I could swim, and I said, yes. Mm. And he said, would you mind? And I said, absolutely not. And he said, well, there's just one thing. We're out of life jackets. And I said, oh, that's not a problem. So I swam out there, and it was easy. It was, it was fine. And he said, just hang on to the boat. Yeah. There were boats tied up there. And... um so I, I swam out and I was there for about 45 minutes. Now it was about 105 degrees outside, but I think the water must've been 105 degrees below. It was so cold. And all of a sudden I hear lunch (laughs) scream out and everybody jumps out of the water and runs away. And I'm sitting there going, hello Hello?" (laughs) and nothing. And Stephanie is screaming that I'm out there. She says, Catherine is out there. So I decide to swim in. Well, being that I was there for 45 minutes, it was very difficult. And hypothermia had, was starting to set in. And my legs were like jello. Yeah. And I just didn't have the strength to swim like I did. And Rhett and Paddington, who were sitting by Stephanie, saw this got away, jumped into the water, and they saved me. One went under one arm and the other on the other and brought me to shore. Oh, and, of course, nobody was able to film that because they were all eating. Yeah. And oh. then, <laughs> then the lifeguard came up, and, and I was laughing. Stephanie was crying hysterically. Oh. And I thought the whole thing was rather funny. But um, I, I could not believe that Rhett and Pannington did that for me. That was... Very good, and we just bonded. I mean, I loved those dogs to begin with, but boy, they were my real buddies after that. Yeah, yeah. And they really saved me because I don't know what I would have done without them. No. So it was a real rescue nine one one 
um, making Rescue 911. Yeah. I mean, you, you obviously have, you know, excellent relationships with dogs and you can train them. Um, and you point out you, you are something of a dog magnet. You know, sort of you, dogs seem to sort of come to you knowing that you will help them. You know, it's like um, that's how uh, Bailey came to you, wasn't it? You know, he turned up as a stray pup. Was that right? Well, in the Bailey was, um, I was doing some volunteer work for an organization, um, up in San Luis Obispo at, um, called Woods hmm. and they, um, it's a no kill shelter hmm. and someone had found this litter of puppies and there was a sign saying that we were doing this benefit at the, the dog park and she came up there with all these puppies and Bailey was just kind of thrown into my arm. She was hmm. only five weeks old. Oh. So that's how I got Bailey. And then they said, um, if you can keep these four overnight, because the others, the other three went straight away. Mm. Um, and then, uh, you can, you know, bring them in in the morning and dad said, fine, you know, bring them home. So I did that. And we went the next morning and they said, we have some good news and bad news. We only have three foster homes. <laughs> So Bailey came home to L.A. with me. Yeah. And yeah. she's been here ever since. She's nine now. Oh, excellent. But I, d- I do think dogs seem to have a sense of you're going to be prepared to help them because we, we seem to encounter so many dogs lost on walks or even stray dogs that, you know, lost dogs that turn up at the house. And they just seem to have this sense of, okay, you're going to be someone that will help me. Right. They do. Yeah. Well, that's how I got Buster. That that's probably who you're thinking about ah, with Buster. Yes. He I yeah. found on the streets of LA um on a film. Yeah. And um but he ended up getting a wonderful home. Yeah. So and um was it Buster that ended up as a, a hearing dog? Yes. Yes. Yeah. So uh yeah. the parents were both deaf and the their son um could hear. Yeah. He was hearing. So it was the best of both worlds. He had a job and a best friend. Yeah. You know, to play with a a buddy because the the boy was, I think, only like nine years old. It was perfect, absolutely yeah. perfect. Oh, excellent! Now, there's as well as all the anecdotes in the book, um, you mix in some really good training training advice that people can put into action with their dogs. Um, yeah, and I guess one of the most sort of all you know multi-purpose that you must use all the time on the set is Mark. So. What's your advice for people if they want to, you know, teach their dog to be able to go to a mark? Well, that that is the most important thing you can train a dog because they have to uh, know where their mark is. But that can uh, that's so good for all kinds of things because you can start all kinds of behaviors with a mark. You could um, show them where their mark is. You can put a toy there, have them retrieve that. Um, there are just so many things that a mark can do. Uh, but it's good. You can send them away. If you want them to go away from you, send them to a mark. Uh, It's just a fun thing to have your dog know. And they, you know, or if you want them, uh, I had a friend who had an Australian shepherd and he would uh, be at the park with a dog, with his dog. And um, something would happen and he wouldn't want the dog to be involved. And he'd just say, get on the bench and he'd run over to the picnic table and just sit there till he was told to come back. Oh, wow. And that in essence was sending him to his mark. Yeah. Brilliant. So it really comes in handy having your dog know a mark. Yeah. Yeah. So how, how do you get that behavior? 
Well, you can start off. I start off with a box, a small box, and um, you, it can get higher or lower because eventually you want it to be a minuscule. It can be a pebble, can be their mark. But you start with something that they can visually see. And you, with a leash, you can walk up to it and say mark when you get to it. And if they even put a toenail on there, that's good. And you praise them for that. Pay them with a biscuit or with um, praise, whatever you want to do. And then um, still with the leash, you kind of stop and send them to their mark, go mark, and make them go on their own. And then eventually you can take them off the leash and send them to their mark. Yeah. So, and then tell them to stay, you know, and then have them do whatever they need to do. And then later, a mark can be a person. Um, if you want them to go to a, a certain actor, mm. you go, you let them know. You always pattern them first, take them over, show them where you want them to go, and say, This is your mark. Then bring them back and then send them to their mark be it a tree, a person, a potted plant, whatever. Yeah, yeah. That, I mean, they are so intelligent. I'm so impressed that, you know, they, they can learn this, that, you know, this it just means go to this, you know, as you say, whether it is a person, a, a tree or whatever, that's brilliant. Yeah, it's fun, you know, and it doesn't have to be movie stuff. I mean, these are movie behaviors, but you anyone can teach their dog to do that and, and turn them into a performer. Yeah. Now, in the book, I have a photograph of Bailey on the box. It's just what we call an apple box. And an apple box is what the um, prop guys use. Um, and they get different size boxes and they stack them up um, for different uses. Uh, sometimes you can even use them as a chair. Uh, <laughs> so, uh, but that's what that is. But it's any kind of box that they can go to. And then you make it smaller and smaller and smaller. And like I said, eventually it can be a little pebble. Yeah, yeah. And of course, you, you can disguise that on set, can't you? And sort of if, if the dog still needs a, you know, the, the pebble, the actual Well, mark. by the time they're on set, they shouldn't need their oh, right. box. Okay. <laughs> they're <laughs> down to a pebble. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Okay. Excellent. So, you know, people can have a go at that one. Um, now, another one that, you know, is in, an intriguing one, and it's not one that many people, you know, w- would do, I would imagine, is nudge. Oh, yeah. Well, nudge, um, that's just a cute little behavior because if they go up to somebody and, and they nudge them, oh. um in a film that that's very cute but you can do that again um when you're um with people as you point to a person and say go nudge that so now you're putting in your mark and your nudge you have two behaviors there yeah yeah so how do you get so, this one? how do you how do you train for this one for nudge well, with the nudge, you just want them to come up and when you can cheat with the nudge oh. because um, if they come up to you and and because a lot of dogs will just do that normally, will come up and nudge you yeah, yeah. and they say nudge, give that behavior a name. And you can do that with so many things. Um, and that's how I train my horse, actually. Hmm. Um, but I train every animal I've had, including my bird, like a dog. Um, that, that's just the way, because they can learn that. I taught my horse how to fetch. So, um, you can train any of these animals, anything, but, um, when an animal comes up to you and nudges you, you say nudge and then praise them. If a dog, if you want a dog to yawn and they yawn, say yawn, 
put a behavior, a name to whatever behavior that is. And that's the quickest and easiest way to do um, those behaviors. Yeah. Yeah. So you just, as you say, giving a name to a a behavior that they do naturally. Yes. Like bow. Um, You know, uh, I have the... um, that is sometimes males will hate to crawl. Yes. So they'll yeah. um, put their butt in the air and it turns <laughs> into like a bow. So turn that into a bow. Yeah. Yeah. You Do know, you know, it doesn't have to be a crawl. No, no. That had not occurred to me because I was going to say you, you give really practical training advice you know one of the things you point out which hadn't occurred to me and I do have a boy dog um you know the males may find it a little harder because sort of certain bits and pieces may well drag on the floor so they're not going to crawl as readily as a bitch and I just right. hadn't thought they're of afraid it's going to fall off so <laughs> I don't blame them <laughs> uh, no and that would yeah that hurts yeah. but a female is much easier to yeah. train that yeah. um behavior too um, whether they've been neutered or not, if they still have equipment down there. Yeah, yeah. Oh. So, um, so their butt could go in the air, and then you turn it into something else. Because not every dog is going to want to do every behavior. Mm. So you and I don't believe in forcing. If a dog doesn't like it, forget it. Go to something else. Yeah, yeah. So, um. But the other way, you know, as far as the nudge goes, too, um, if you don't want to do it that way, what I tell you in the book is to get like a cup and put a treat in it, and they will nudge the um, the, the the cup to get to the treat underneath, mm. and that is a nudge. Yeah, yeah. So, and then you want them to come up to you, and you you know, there's there's just so many things you can do. You can become very creative with different things. Yeah. Yeah. Now, another ba- another behavior that sort of, um, I imagine some dogs will, will you know, do um, uh, naturally and it's not always welcome is this get it command, which was one of the ones you used for the something about Mary, I think, wasn't it? Oh, yes. And you, you have to be careful with that because um, you don't want to hurt an animal. Uh, but that, you know, um, get it, you know, is attacking the ankle or whatever part they want. Um, and that, uh, you know, you put a toy underneath, um, and have to get that toy and get it, get it, get it. And that's how that works. Yeah. Yeah. But you don't want to do, I would never teach a chihuahua or, you know, any little dog, because if you're working with someone who doesn't realize it, they could accidentally kick that dog Yeah, and you don't want that to happen. So you have, you know, you, you have to be practical. You have to think about it. You know, is this going to be safe? Is this going to hurt my baby? Yeah. So um, just, you know, you do safe things. Yeah, yeah. And if you, if you sort of make it fun with them, I mean, we, I can remember with, uh, seeing on the internet, you know, alley-oops, um, sort of a, a heavy base with a, a stick and a ball on the top. Um, which is just used as a marker for the dog, and we got one for our Labrador, and he loves it. And when we when he get when he sees us get the alley oop out, he knows it's going to be fun, and it's, he's going to be doing something, and his tail's you know wagging, and he's really happy. Oh yeah, they, they love it, don't they? Yeah, yes, they do. And like I said, and um, they're having fun, you're having fun, um, and that's what it's all about. Yeah, yeah. That's why I say if the dog doesn't want to do something. Don't force them. Go to something else. Yeah, 
Yeah. You always want to make it fun. You don't want it to be like a, a punishment or torture for them. No. no. So, um, you know, and your dog doesn't need to crawl. But you'll notice sometimes your male dogs, when they have to, they'll crawl on their own. Yes. <laughs> and they're not even thinking about it. But you're not making them do it. Yeah. So yeah. if you see them do that, tell them, that's a crawl. That's a good boy. Good boy. And turn that into a behavior. Yeah. Yeah. But you, I mean, you very, very quickly pick up on on the behaviors that they like and the behaviors that they don't. I mean, for example, I did some heel work to music with my dog. And one of the things he really didn't like was roll over. And it, oh, okay. You yeah. Know, it, it just, he, he will do it. But I wanted him to do two or three quite quickly. And he was just like, you know, I really don't like this. And I actually would like a treat for everyone. I don't want to do three and then a treat, you know. So we, we just cut that out. But you, you, they, they talk to you. you know, well, they, they tell you what they like and what they don't. Absolutely. They do. But it's a lab, so I'm sure he loves food. Oh, yeah, definitely. That's his motivation. <laughs> yes. So because Bailey is half lab and food is her life. Yep. <laughs> yeah, it's harder. <laughs> we have another one. Our other one is a Bichon Freeze. And she's just oh. not. She likes human food, but dog treats just don't motivate her very much. So it's, she's but she, she's quite eager to do stuff, but it's quite difficult to find the food that she likes, you know, that will motivate her. Well, then use praise. Yeah. Yeah. You don't always have to use praise or her favorite toy. Or, you know, it doesn't have to be food all the time. Yeah. It's actually better if it isn't. Yeah, yeah. Well, it, the, what her favorite thing in the world is to lick my daughter's chin. She just loves that. So oh. yeah. <laughs> it's a weird reinforcement, but if it works for her, you know, that's... <laughs> okay. <laughs> so well, that's an interesting... That would be kind of a silly treat, you know. Good dog. Here, lick my chin. <laughs> no, right, no, right. It's not a technique you've used then yourself. <laughs> no, I, I, that's a first. That, that is definitely a first. <laughs> well, Star... But I'll remember that. Yeah, well, Star's definitely a law to herself, so I'm not surprised you haven't come across that. <laughs> okay. Yeah. No, we've, we've heard your dogs in the background today. They've, they've uh, made their presence felt. How many dogs do you have, Catherine? Two. I have Bailey and Holly. Yeah, yeah. Okay. The two that are in the book. Yeah, yeah. So those are my babies. Yeah, and as you say, there's, there's photos of them in the book for people to see. Um, where yeah. can where can people find out more about the book? Do you have the um, the website address? Do you know? Um, well, yes. Um, but if they want, if really, the best place to find out about it is Amazon.com. Okay, it's on there, and people can buy it from there. Uh, that's uh, people overseas. That's the best place to get the book yeah yeah and um so a, a proportion of the um of the cost goes to uh rescues doesn't it It goes to rescue it goes to um south los angeles animal shelter which is in dire need of funds so um that <clears throat> i give that it to them because they really need it yeah so um in fact we're doing that a blanket and towel dry for them right now. I, it's getting so cold. I mean, I hate to say cold to you, um, <laughs> but for LA, it's really cold. I mean, it it snowed out where one uh, Linda Blair has a big rescue out there, and and her dogs it, they get so cold. And they, last year they were snowed in, and I have a feeling that might happen this year as well. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, so, so that is cold. Um, it is cold. Yeah. And for it to be in the 50s today, that's with the sun out, that's cold for us. Yeah. But yeah. Um, it'll go down into the 30s tonight. Mm. So yeah. 
but up in the mountains, it's snowing like crazy. So yeah. we get our fair share. Yeah, you do. And those dogs need to, you know, stay warm. Now in the shelters, in the newer shelters, they have heated kennels, which is very nice. But in South LA, they, they don't have that. No. And they need an abundance of them because um, once they get soiled, they don't have the facility to wash them. So they're thrown out. Mm. So they need it to have it all the time. Yeah. So... Yeah. And I'm actually going to start doing a food drive because I have found with a lot of the shelters, people will come in with their pets to turn them in and they have asked them, well, would it help if we could help you with the food? And they say, yes, 95% of the people say yes. So if I could start a pet food bank, I think that would really help people to keep their animals and keep them out of the shelter and it'll save the family as well as the dog's life and keep the the shelters yeah. free of not as many animals because so many animals are being turned in now because of the economy and after 3 days they're put down. Yeah. So I want to try to stop that. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah, that's a, that's a really great idea. Yeah. Help them stay with the families. Brilliant. Thank you ever so much for taking the time to talk to me and I I loved the book and I mean it's I think it's a really great mix of the anecdotes of working and being a wrangler along with some brilliant training advice. Thank you. Well, I, I really wanted to do this book because so many people, they don't really think about a person um, with the animal on set. And when I tell people, you know what I do, they go, Oh, I never thought of that, that there's an actual person there. Yeah. I guess they just think these animals magically appear. <laughs> but, um, you know, it, no, they don't. Yeah. So, um, and that's what it's all about. And, that, and I put a little bit about um, our union. Um, now, as I understand it, in New York, they don't have a union like we do here, hmm. um, an animal union. Um, but in L.A., you have to be a member of the union and then American humane and how they started out and, and they're, you know, so helpful yeah. in making sure. Now I know American humane has gone to our, all the Harry Potter films. They're there because they always get the, the little insignia at the end saying no animals were harmed. Yeah. So um, they're all over the world. So, which is very good. And it started out as this little nonprofit organization and now it's huge. It's still yeah. nonprofit. So things like that are very important and people should know that, you know, there is protection for those animals that are on the field. Yeah. So, Because, yeah. I mean, it's great to see them, but as you say, you want to know they're properly treated while they're, they're on the set. Right, exactly. Yeah. So, and how they do things and, and know that, you know, it, it's like a dog, if it's thrown out a window, it's not the real dog. Yes. <laughs> it's a stuffy. <laughs> So yeah. now we did actually have the dog in the cast, but he was only in for um, a few minutes, yeah. not even minutes, seconds. And it was all Velcro and it came right off. So if the dog felt constricted in any way, it could come right off. Yeah. yeah. So, um, but it's always the animal first. And I've been fortunate with most films that I've worked on and uh, the sets, they're all animal lovers. And that's so helpful. You know, yeah. everybody is just so kind to the animals and, and that you can tell how much love they have for them. Yeah. So that's, that's always yeah. important too. And so many of these directors and producers, they all have rescues, which is just such a nice thing to hear. Yeah. That they've, you know, taken in an animal and given it a, a forever home. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you, so, you managed to find um, homes for a lot of um, rescue dogs with the crew 
And sometimes the cast don't you have movies. Yeah, that is, you know, uh, and so many times when I go on a set, they'll say, do you know where I can get da-da-da-da-da? Mm. So I'm always trying to, to help out. I'm looking, uh, a friend of mine, he wants, uh, he has a bulldog, an English bulldog right now, and he wants a Frenchie. He wants a French bulldog. Mm. And I actually found a rescue that has Frenchies. Mm. So I hooked him up with that. So that was just recently because someone said, oh, good luck. You'll never find a, a, a dog, you know, a Frenchie yeah. mm-hmm. uh, for a, a adoption. I, yeah, he will. <laughs> <laughs> They're out there. So, um, yeah. you know, and I, I don't, you know, it's fine if people breed dogs, you know, just be responsible. Yes. Because yes. if we don't bre- have breeders who breed the dogs, we'll lose all our dogs and have only mutts. Yeah. And, yeah. um, so, and there's a lot of good traits with the, the purebred dogs, too. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. we just have to be kinder and gentler to our, you know, furry family members. Yeah, yeah. Catherine, it's been a pleasure talking to you, and I've loved this insight into the into the wrangling world. Oh, well, it was nice talking to you, too. And um, thank you for all the good work that you do oh, for our you. furry friends. <laughs> thank you. What a fascinating woman and a fascinating job, too. You can read more about Catherine and the animals she has loved and worked with in her book, Hollywood Barks, and we have a link where you can find out more about the book. She is such a scene-stealer. She's got these lashes and big eyes, and when she walks onto the set, everybody just says, Ooh! Greg Kinnear, about the dog Jill, who played Verdell in As Good As It Gets. We heard in the Dogcast Radio News that scientists have declared that dogs are better pets than cats. But I don't think it's as simple as that. It's not that one is better than the other, they're just different. It's like trying to compare kettles and pianos. They have different functions. One is great when you want to make a cup of tea, and the other is very useful for dropping on a comedy cartoon character. OK, the same cannot be said of dogs and cats, but you get the general idea. Canines and felines have different uses. They fulfil different human needs, and they occupy different places in our hearts. Having now lived with dogs for many years, and cats for a few months, I have begun to formulate some theories on the fundamental differences between the two species. Doors pose challenges to both animals. Ogden Nash said, A door is what a dog is perpetually on the wrong side of, and this could equally be applied to a cat. Of course, a dog usually wants to be on the same side of the door as his person. But for cats, the attractions can also include warmth and food. Both species will appeal for human help if necessary, but there the similarity ends. A dog is often taught door rules. Don't push through one before a human. Don't run and bark if the doorbell rings, and so on. Cats do have door rules, but from what I can make out, they are self-imposed. Even when supplied with a cat flap, which they are fully able to enter and exit via, a cat will do its best to persuade a human to open the door for it. If your dog could operate a handle, he'd be straight through that pesky door and demonstrating how pleased he was to be reunited with you. Cats, by contrast, refuse to use a cat flap when there is a perfectly good human at hand to act as doorman. Piteous meowing is a marvellous manipulator, which cats put to good use in a domestic setting. You see, doorways are important. They're a great indicator of status. We use them to show our dogs that we are above them in the pecking order. 
and cats use them to demonstrate exactly the same to us. You can observe numerous differences between dogs and cats. Cats have little desire to please. They will only accept affection on their terms. And training? Well, there are no obedience, flyball or agility classes for cats, are there? However, these differences can be distilled down to one word. Shame. That is the top and bottom of it. Dogs have it and cats lack it. Trainers and behaviourists argue that dogs have no sense of shame. But you can try this out for yourself at home. If you look your dog in the eye and say, You naughty dog! What have you done, you bad, bad dog? He will lower his head, generally droop, avoid your gaze, and give every indication of being thoroughly ashamed of himself, whether he has in fact perpetrated a crime or not. His body language will be shouting, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, it was me, forgive me and love me again. Now try the same with your cat. You naughty cat, look at what you've done. Bad, bad kitty. If the cat deigns to show any acknowledgement of you at all, it will glare at you, conveying with its expression, Yes, it was me. I did it and I'm proud of it. Now get out of my face. So I will pit my few months' observation against the amassed wisdom of the world and boldly state that shame. Is the essential difference between the two most popular domestic species. Investigate it yourself and see what your findings are. Despite being a relative newcomer to the world of cat ownership, I admit I find it silly to try to establish the dog or the cat as the superior pet because they are so dissimilar. What could be more pleasant than a purring cat on your lap? And what could beat the enthusiastic tail wagging frenzy of your dog's greeting when you arrive home? If you are a devoted dog lover, or if you think a house without a cat is a catastrophe, I think you should feel free to believe that you have the best pet. But if, like me, you have both, I think you should congratulate yourself on having the best of both worlds and enjoy your companions for what they are. Till next time, look after yourselves and your dogs, and if you have them, your cats too. Thanks for listening to Dogcast Radio, available from www.dogcastradio.com. That's D O G C A S T radio.com. If you'd like to get in touch with us, and wherever you are in the world, we'd love to hear from you. You can do so in a variety of ways. By phone from the UK, you can contact us on 0121 0921288 0922. From the US, you can contact us on our American number, which is 315-849-2022. From any other country, you'll need your international exit code and then 4412128809022. You can contact us on Skype with the ident Dogcast Radio. That's all one word, Dogcast Radio. By email, you can contact me on julie at dogcastradio.com. When contacting us by email, if you have the facilities, please record your questions or comments and send them to us as an audio file. That way, we can include them directly in our program. We can accept most formats, for example, WAV, MP3. All these methods of contacting us can be found on our website, which is www.dogcastradio.com. And as ever, the final word goes to Jenny. 
What do you get if you cross a dog and a cheetah? A dog that chases cars and catches them.